Tuesday, December 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to have you. Let's take a moment, before we get to the topics at hand, let's take a moment to say thank you to our dozens of listeners for their help earlier this fall when our fantasy football team was in the depths of going one in six and people were suggesting new names, and uh, we turned the season around, made the playoffs. With a new name. With a new name. What, did that come from a listener? I, uh, no, but we did have some really good suggestions okay. from listeners. But I, I guess basically what I'm saying is thank you to the listeners for their patience. And, uh, and just to wrap they're, it all up. They're tuning out now. <laughs> just to wrap it all up, uh, the season's over for us now. Yeah. The, the playoffs were this weekend, and we got destroyed. We got smoked. It was not even close. Uh, we've got some earnings uh, in the automotive industry. We'll dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with a surprising departure. Shares of Abercrombie and Fitch rising this morning on the news that longtime CEO Mike Jeffries is retiring effective immediately. I don't know about you. I was not at all surprised that the shares are rising with this guy leaving. I am surprised that he's leaving, though. Uh, why? Because I don't see how anything is different from, say, three, six, or 12 months ago. Yeah. So, so why is he leaving now? Uh, to spend more time with his family? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's it, is it. You don't think that's it? I don't think that's it. What, I, what, what did he say? Um, he said, I believe now is the right time for new leadership to take the company forward in the next phase of its development, which, by the way, is an enormous understatement. Really? Now is the time? Well, what he's, a- he's got a lovely family, I'm sure. That, that's got to enter into it. Uh, no, this, this has been a long-term... You know, troubled company as actually have sort of all of the, the the teen retailers. It's a tough tough space, and they had their day in the sun. Ooh, I don't know when. When were they big? The the nineties, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the stock and the fact that it's lost to the market consistently, certainly over the last decade, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was. It, it, I don't know. It always seemed like the the brand was bigger than the actual business, or there was more excitement about the brand than there is about the actual business. Because to your point, it's a tough business. It's a very tough business. And, um, you know, as has been said about other people, Mike Jeffries was dealt a bad hand, and he played it horribly. I mean, yes, this is a tough business. He was also a horrible steward of this business. Well, and that's a good reason to leave. So I, I don't know where your surprise is coming from. <laughs> because the, the way you set it out, because it's surprising. Because it's he, surprising whenever whenever any bad CEO gets forced out or, or decides that they they can't take it anymore because they're get so well paid. That's what your cynical take on this is. It's surprising because despite the fact that he was doing a bad job leading this company, he seemed perfectly willing to st- to stay in the corner office and occasionally come up for air and and make some absurd comment and get dinged for it and then go back to his now let's dev. let's define the underperformance here. So the the company as I see it has trailed the market by 38% this year, 37% per year over the last 3 years. 18% per year over the last five years, and 11% per year over the last 10 
and but only four percent over the last fifteen per year. Give me the so, number. Give me the number again on what it has done relative to the market over the last three years. Uh, it has delivered a negative sixteen percent per year performance, and the market is up twenty one percent per year. So that's bad. So there you go. There you go. In the wake of a rising market, it has. He could not even get his to business fall. to keep pace. Right. And in part, that is a function of, of the space, which is very competitive and where, you know, being on top precedes, you know, being out of fashion again. None of these places have sort of sustained. Uh, we, we were So we were thinking the, the other day down in, in our little world of, of uh, asset management, you know, what are the examples of a clothing retailer that really has not. You know, gone out of fashion, and and a sustain a long period of sustained, you know, um, relevance. And what have you got? Help the, us out. The only thing that came to mind, and I don't think this is a publicly or has ever been a publicly traded company, Levi's, Levi's jeans. Was that ever like like a trendsetter? I mean, I, I'm like not saying trendsetter. Years ago, just just but you know, like, steady yeah. steady performer. No, here's a Victoria's Secret. Okay, really, no missteps. I mean, as as mondo today as as ever. The parent company is Limited Brands. L Brands now. L Brands, okay. Yeah. It takes a while to say Limited, so they shorten it. They help to <laughs> Smart L. move. Yeah. So with the, you're saying, with the exception of Victoria's Secret and L Brands, and not even all of L Brands, yeah. right? Because you, Limited has has certainly gone through its its troubles. Uh, but it, it's it's kind of yeah, just Victoria's Secret. Uh, other than that, there it's it's tough. I mean, name whoever you want, and Gap once upon a time was thought of as just very dominant and everywhere, and couldn't make any mistakes, and and everybody was going to keep shopping there. And they've had probably a similarly poor run, um, not as bad as Abercrombie and Fitch. But we have seen. I mean, you mentioned the Gap. We have seen. Uh, it's not cyclical. It's it's not really predictable. But we have seen companies like Gap, Aeropostale, American Eagle. We've seen them from the standpoint of the stocks have a good twelve months, certainly relative to their competitors and even relative to the market. Let's bring it back to Abercrombie and Aero, Fitch. Aeropostale? Did yeah. you say that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for Aber- they haven't had a good twelve months. Not the last twelve months. No. 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 Uh, but. When you look at Abercrombie and Fitch, and following on your belief that one of the secrets to life, maybe the secret to life, is have an easy act to follow. It's one of. It's one of. Yeah. Whoever is the next CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch, from the standpoint of the business and the stock performance, phenomenally easy act to easy follow. Easy act to follow. You could do this. <laughs> does this Does this get you interested in this Have stock? you applied? I have not applied. They have just begun their search. Should I put in my name? I think you can improve on past performance here. Easy act to follow. You know what? I'm going to do that. I'm yes. Gonna, on Twitter, I'm going to just ping the, the corporate account at Abercrombie & Fitch saying, include me in your search. Yep. AutoZone is the leading auto parts and accessories retailer in the country. First quarter profits up 15%. Same store sales up 4.5% and shares up uh, about 4% this morning. This yep. seems like a- In a weak market. This uh, this seems like yet another good quarter put up by AutoZone. Yeah, I think they in their press release noted 
that it was the 33rd consecutive quarter of double-digit earnings per share increase. Wow. Really? Yeah. Well, they said it. I haven't fact-checked. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm just mouthing their words right I lo- now, but I mean, it'd be... <laughs> if they just made it up. <laughs> That'd be phenomenally stupid. I like to think that the lawyers at AutoZone t- took a look at that statement and gave it the green light before they put it out. The, th- the thing that I was struck by in looking at AutoZone this morning is if you want to buy a share of their stock, a single share costs more than $600 now. They have split their stock, I believe, on two occasions, but the most recent occasion was 1994. They've been busy. <laughs> they, they've been busy having all those consecutive quarters of double digits. You can't take time out just to split your stock when you're focused on the business. Do you like to see that with a company? Not splitting their stock? Is the, all things being equal, would, would you prefer the stocks that you are buying and holding, whether it's personally or in Motley Fool Asset Management, would you prefer to see stocks not split? Yeah, although I don't care about it a lot. There are plenty of stocks that, that uh, have split, uh, and I understand the reasons why they do uh, split their, their uh, shares. Um, but uh, all things considered, the ones that say, yeah, we're, let's just see how high this thing can go. We're, we're indifferent to whether the retail investor can get a block of 100 shares, which is sort of the reason that, that they do it, is to keep the, the share price around their competition uh, so that if people want to buy, as they frequently do, exactly 100 shares, they can do so in an affordable amount, uh, and uh, the companies that just say we're we're just not concerned with that uh, are, are typically, you know, the ones that end up having huge stock prices are, are good companies, right? Because they, you don't just not split your stock and have it go to six hundred if you're not actually delivering, because then your stock will just hang out at twenty for ten years, right? right? <laughs> that that hasn't happened here. It's, it's a phenomenally successful company. We do own it uh, in in one of the funds. And uh, it's, it gets there also by uh, very uh, frequently and, and continuously buying back its own shares, which uh, is, is part of that earnings per share growth story. That is, they're not saying we've had 33 consecutive quarters of double-digit sales growth or earnings growth. It's earnings per share. So they're buying back, as I think they did over the last year, 6% of their shares if they're growing, you know, earnings by only four or five percent, then they're going to get that total earnings per share growth in the double digits. And they they grew by more than that. Same store sales were up four and a half percent plus store count. I think their total sales were up about eight uh, percent, and they have good margins. And they they do a little bit of everything in terms of growing at each store, opening new stores. Improving margins and lowering the share count and all that adds up to a very good bottom line. Do you think that the fact they do not split their stock or haven't for 20 years, do you think that makes it somewhat easier for them to buy back stock? Because to your point, I think the share price on its own scares off some percentage of investors and possibly financial advisors who are who are looking at stocks. Just the whole, well, wait a minute. So, I've got $1,200. I'm only going to get two shares. I think for, for some investors, that just sort of scares them off. So, do you think this, this helps them buy back their stock? 
Uh, marginally, I mean, not in a, a meaningful amount, I would say, because you can name uh, areas of the market that are going to choose not to participate in their stock because of its its price, as you have, and that maybe takes out you know a couple of percent of the the possible buying pressure. But Ra- it's I, I doubt that's part of the plan. Radio at fool dot com is our email address. Question from Jamie Braswell in Dublin, Ireland. Happy holidays to all you guys who make my daily commute a little shorter. That's, you know, you're welcome. That's all we're looking to do. We're just looking to help out with your commute or when you're walking your dog or however, whenever you listen to us. Uh, Jamie writes, a couple of decades ago, there was a great book called Built to Last that compared and contrasted good companies with great companies. It seemed to have a similar message that The Motley Fool seems to espouse. Long-term strategies, doing the right thing for all stakeholders, etc. Could you or some of your well-informed or some of the well-informed you have on the show make some recommendations for more current books that have a similar mindset? I'm hoping to drop hints for a Christmas gift. Jim Collins, who is the author of Built to Last, wrote a couple of follow-up books. The the names escape me, um, but uh, I think the most recent one came out a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, he was a guest on Motley Fool Money. Uh, so I, I would look to Jim Collins' other bodies of work because he's, he's a very, very smart guy, very wonderful researcher, and a very prolific writer. Uh, whether it is books that have a similar mindset or just recent books uh, that you would recommend that uh, maybe Jamie can have under the Christmas oh, tree I, on uh, I thought this question was directed to well-informed um, <laughs> you know, guests of your show. In lieu of a well-informed guest, I have you. <laughs> well, I, I having um, used the internet while you were rambling on there, I, I can tell you that, that Great by Choice is one of the sequels to, to uh, Good to Great, Great by Choice, Built to Last, all part of the same... Uh, same series, really, uh, and and how the mighty fall. So all all by Jim Collins. What I would say is uh, regarding the the sort of best book that that I read in the financial world, I guess this year would, would be Michael Lewis's book of this year, uh, Flash Boys, which I thought, as always, was very well written and uh, informative, and went into a side of of you know Wall Street and the market that we don't. Uh, follow. Uh, it's the, about the high-frequency traders and and how they operate and and where their advantages are and and what effect, if any, they have on the market. Uh, and so I think that is uh, whether you're interested in that topic or not. Uh, Michael Lewis always delivers a, a well. Uh, yeah, I mean, people are talking about making a movie out of that, which is just credit to. His having written things that somebody took a chance on and made a movie, including Moneyball, which really doesn't scream out, you know, movie material to me, uh, and yet it was done. And I don't know, as I think you pointed out, Jonah Hill got a Academy Award Academy nomination, Award nomination, putting him one ahead of Robert Redford, Lifetime. <laughs> Jonah Hill, two. Robert Redford, one. In terms of Academy Award acting nominations. Acting nominations. There you go. That's the Academy for you. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> um, We've gotten way off topic. No, here. no, no. Bring it back. But to your point about adapting that to a movie, when Michael Lewis has visited The Motley Fool a couple of times, and one time he did talk about Moneyball being adapted for a movie. This was, I believe, before the movie was made, or maybe it was, it was uh, on the verge of coming out. And he told the story of... 
a personal friend of his who was the head of, I want to say it's Columbia Pictures. I think that was the, the film company that had, that had optioned this. And they were hanging out one time. And this is when Moneyball was in development. It had not yet been made into a movie. And his, you know, his friend, the studio head, was sort of razzing him, basically saying, God, I, I have to deal with your damn book being someone trying to make it into a movie. And, I, and, and Michael Lewis just sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, hey, don't look at me. I wasn't the one who thought it would make for a movie, but someone optioned it and they bought it. And what am I going to do? Not sell them the movie rights? <laughs> of course I'm going to do that. But even before the film was made, Michael Lewis himself was somewhat mystified as to how this book was going to translate to the big screen, and they they did a very good job with it. I haven't read Flash Boys, but I do remember reading The Big Short, which was his last book before Flash Boys, and when I read that, I remember thinking, oh, this this will absolutely be made into a movie, because the characters are too rich and too great. And yes, it will take some doing, and it, I, I believe it's being made into a, a film for HBO. Okay, uh, and 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 they did uh, too big to fail, which also yes uh, was sort of a surprising thing at some level to see made into a movie. But HBO did a good job with it, and uh, I, I think they they've got a knack for that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing both both movies when they come out. It, it, I, Michael Lewis has achieved something pretty interesting in getting into the Hollywood, you, they must have his next book kind of thing, regardless of what he writes. And he's not writing with an eye, seemingly, toward, well, here's how I can sell you know another book to get made into a movie. Because you wouldn't choose high-frequency trading um, or the big short and its, its subject matter, I think. But I don't know. He's he's uh, done a very good job of, of choosing what to do with his life and, and finding it uh, work out very very well. Well, and to, to your point, he's a phenomenal writer. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I guess that's how I'd close now, out. Liars Poker. Now that is a movie. That I think he's working on the script for that. Is he really? I think so. He just came out with some 25th anniversary paperback edition of Liars Poker, which I'm assuming has some new material. I mean, if really, if you're looking for a book in the financial world to read start with that anybody i mean you can get it for, for like two cents right i mean amazon <laughs> i mean you can't you get one of the used copies two cents on amazon and then 295 for shipping so do that there you go i There's... mean it's not more money to michael lewis we're not we're not trying to help him out he doesn't need our money he's fine he's fine michael lewis <laughs> is doing just fine he does not need our help at all thanks for being here thank you as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.